Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, are all Liberal MPs solidly behind the deal with the NDP? You're seeing Judy Scroll, who has nothing really to lose. She's not a minister. Uh, she has been a minister, but she's a senior voice in the party, saying that she's disturbed that uh, the, by the way in which this deal has taken the Liberals a little step farther away from the party that she would have more recognized, which is the one of Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin. The Prime Minister highlights spending on infrastructure for electric vehicles. We know we need to reduce pollution, but one of the best ways of doing that is to get more clean cars on the road. And Canada targets Russia's defence industry in the latest round of sanctions. We'll continue to put maximum pressure on President Putin and his enablers while supporting Ukrainians in their fight for freedom. It's Tuesday, April 12th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. Let's start with the deal between the Liberals and the NDP. And I know a lot of people have been wondering for some time whether there are Liberals, particularly Liberals who have, um, let's say, uh, are are sort of fiscally conservative, uh, whether they have concerns about the deal with the NDP and whether over time that could become an issue that, that causes dissension within the party. And the Hill Times is quoting longtime Liberal MP Judy Scrow as saying, while she supports the deal at this time, if the costs rise, if they turn out to be too high, there are those of, uh, there are people like her in caucus, she's not alone, uh, in perhaps not supporting the deal in the long run. So what do you make of that? It's interesting on so many levels, because you know, I'm one of the reporters, and I think many, who were trying to find such MPs to speak about this when the deal was first reached. You know, liberals are famous for talking anonymously um, when they're displeased or they're feeling uncomfortable, but they they rarely speak out. So, first of all, you're seeing Judy Scroll, who has nothing really to lose. She's not a minister. Uh, she has been a minister, but she's a senior voice in the party, saying that she's disturbed that uh, the, by the way in which this deal has taken the Liberals a little step farther away from the party that she would have more recognized, which is the one of Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin and, and John Manley. You heard a lot of that in the week or so before the budget, not just from Liberals, but the Conservatives were saying it in the House all the time. They suddenly... the opposition conservatives had become a huge fan of liberals as long as they were Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin, John Manley liberals. And they were, they're, I think you're going to see conservatives continue to poke at this because it is seen as an area of vulnerability that, that the blue liberals are, are not a, you know, a hundred percent comfortable with this deal with the NDP. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if, if uh, you've talked about this before, but uh, many of us, when we saw Krista Freeland walk in to the news conference last Thursday wearing a, an electric blue suit, unlike her usual red, black, or white, some of us had thought that she was sending a signal to the Bay Street conservative uh, liberals. And in fact, Candace Bergen, the opposition leader, uh, interim opposition leader, said this in the House. You know, you're dressing up in conservative colors to please your party. Uh, it turned out that that was the Ukraine. It was uh, it, it, the colors of the Ukraine, right? 
not yeah. uh, not the colors of Bay Street, but it's it's symbolically it's touching a nerve. Yeah. And Judy Scrow is is uh, quite Stewart for for actually having the nerve to speak up because it's not it's a very unliberal thing to do in Trudeau's time is for mm-hmm. MPs to put their names to it. Yeah, let's let's turn to electric vehicles because uh, the federal government, of course, has set some aggressive targets for um, for ending the production of of uh, old fashioned cars and switching to electric vehicles. and And the prime minister said on Monday that we're going to have to move fast on this, and the manufacturers are going to have to cooperate. And we we probably need to move faster than we're currently moving. Yeah, I was quite struck i guess i should know this but i was struck by one fact that came out last week which is guess how many electric vehicles have been made in canada right now none hmm. we are we are still just talking about an emerging industry but one that has got to develop really really quickly and the prime minister out this week selling the budget as is christopher freeland that it's they talked last week that the transition to green is one of the most expensive items in their their planning, in their budget planning. And this is a way of getting us all going. Unfortunately, like everything to do with, uh, with the federal government, it can't be done alone. It takes cooperation with municipalities and provinces. And while, you know, we saw that working mostly during the pandemic, Justin Trudeau firmly believes that what they learned during the pandemic about intergovernmental cooperation or nimbly changing gears, pardon the auto pun, can be used for the green transition. And I think that's what kind of thinking is going to be required. We um, we last week had the American ambassador in to talk to our editorial board, and he said something interesting too to us about the ways in which Canada uh, has a significant advantage in the emerging industry because of minerals, the minerals that are needed for batteries, for making batteries. We saw that announcement in Windsor uh, and in Oshawa. You've seen big announcements on this score, but he said Canada, with its reserves of resources, different kind of resources, is is emerged to be a, a leader and have an advantage in that, which I thought was optimistic and kind of friendly. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, you mentioned Ukraine, and and I know there's a feeling uh, with every day that passes that we should uh, be doing more, uh, and the government is is trying to do more within certain limitations and restrictions. But uh, Melanie Jolie, the foreign affairs minister, talked about some new sanctions that target Russia's defense industry. We don't have to get into the specifics of that, but this is part of a continuing effort, um, which I think some would describe as a series of incremental measures designed to to hurt Russia as the as this conflict continues. Um, but is any of this, and when you combine it with other Western countries and their efforts, is any of this a game changer? I don't think, I think what we have learned now is that, that this, uh, this battle on Ukraine and the international fight is very much choreographed internationally so not one country is going to get out there and dance alone and that's what i find interesting about this and probably quite powerful too but it it makes it hard for canada to stand up and say it's it's being a leader or 
doing something, how to step with its allies. The strength of the response to Russia is in the unity of the allies. You saw that on the weekend with uh, Justin Trudeau on CNN, but with, um, I believe it was the head of the, the European Union. But that's the way this is going to emerge, is, is incrementally, as you said, because every country is every step of the way is working together in concert with each other. Yeah. It is frustrating that it's taking so much time though. Mm -hmm. Uh, And heartbreaking. Yeah. All right. Uh, Finally, Susan, Charles and Camilla, the uh, future King and Queen um, are coming to Canada next month. And I find it interesting because there was a time when that would have been a big deal. I, I think back to visits uh, by Charles and Diana 40-plus uh, years uh-huh. ago. Yes. Um, it's not going to be as big a deal this time around. I think our connection to the monarchy is is as, um, as distant as it's been. I'm not predicting any big change in that because that would be complicated, but uh, a royal visit just isn't what it used to be. No, and, uh, you know, royalty isn't what it used to be. A couple of things are going on here. First of all, Canada, I think, uh, I, I don't want to pick favorites in the royal family, but I think it would have been a different reaction if the Queen herself was coming. Sure. This is her platinum jubilee. Or if William and Kate were coming. Yeah. But, uh, you know, of the royal family, I think Meghan and Harry, of course, are not strictly in line anymore, but that, they, they would generate headlines too. Charles and Camilla were here just a few years ago. It is a mark of honor that they are coming here to Canada because uh, Charles is in succession to the throne and that looks ever closer now as I don't want the queen to go, but, um, but he, he is the most senior in the Royal family under the queen. And that is a a gesture of respect to Canada too. I can't help but thinking of it though. You know, we saw last week, William and Kate uh, ran into some trouble too, uh, talking about uh, the, the Royals past that, that royal visits now are not. Um, we are we are all reckoning with with history right sure. now, and we're going to see they, that with the Pope th- this summer too. Yeah, they the seem to be more here. more about the past than they are about the future. Even though he's the future king, right? And, and we seem to be wanting to have a conversation about yeah. the past and the crown and and Indigenous people in Canada is a complicated relationship, and I can imagine that is going to come up just like it will when the Pope arrives here in the summer. So it is, it is, um, these are more than heritage minutes that Canada is going to get with these, these trips this summer. I don't, I think these, these are not just flowy, happy headline. What's the queen and what, what is everybody wearing events anymore? These are our conversations about our past. So that's what makes them interesting. It's maybe more controversial. Yeah. It's a great point. All right, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Observer, Andrew Perez argues the Liberal NDP pact creates an opening for Jean Charest. Perez writes, The Liberal NDP deal not only creates an opening for the return of moderate conservatism, but plays to Charest's political strengths when compared to his chief rival, Pierre Poilievre. As a centrist who led a government in Quebec for almost a decade, composed of federal Tories and Liberals, Charest can draw significant support among middle-of-the-road suburban voters in Canada, 
He could not be more equipped to serve as an antidote to the polarization of our politics. His success, or lack thereof, will have far-reaching impacts on our political climate for years to come. In the Toronto Star, David Mattis, Maria Reisdorf, and Sarah Tyke argue Ukrainian resilience to the Russian invasion is a global victory for democracy. They write, The outcome of the Russian invasion of Ukraine is still uncertain, but other dictatorships are sure to revisit schemes for invading their democratic neighbors based on the costs that Russia has paid on the battlefield and to their economy. Aggressive dictators can be effective when inflicting limited brutality and when relying on mercenaries and proxies. However, a full-scale invasion, which pits one state against another, is a different story. As Ukraine teaches us, democracy comes with significant advantages. In the Ottawa Citizen, Ken Coates argues the Pope's apology to Indigenous people matters. But it's just the start. Coates writes... The Indigenous delegation to the Vatican attained an important achievement. The Pope listened, and there is reason to believe the Catholic Church is about to start a critical journey of its own. This latter effort will be painful in its own way, as the Church confronts the evils conducted in its name under a long line of Popes. The Indigenous trip to the Vatican offers lessons for all people in how to address the depredations of the past while rekindling hopes for the future. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will make an announcement in Edmonton, highlighting tax cuts for small businesses. He will also visit a local small business, along with Tourism Minister Randy Boissonneau. The Prime Minister will then meet with members of Edmonton's Ukrainian and Afghan communities before visiting a nature-based solutions lab. In Halifax, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will tour the Center for Collaborative Clinical Learning and Research at Dalhousie University, along with Immigration Minister Sean Fraser. She will also make an announcement before taking part in an armchair discussion about the budget. She will then visit a mosque and community center to meet with Afghan refugee families. Minister of Families Karina Gould will meet with business owners in Milton, Ontario, to discuss the small business tax cut measures in the budget, Environment Minister Stephen Gilbeau will speak about the budget in Quebec City. In Cambridge, Ontario, Minister of Transport Omar Al-Gabra will talk about tax cuts for small businesses. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak at the South Asian Canadian Legacy Project launch in Surrey, British Columbia. And government officials will provide an update on COVID-19. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, April 12th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.